You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the Morning, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-hosts and fellow agitators David Story and Adam Keller. It is Saturday, May 15th, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, May 16th, 2021, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama, and sometime next week on WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, we are talking to Paul Prescott, contributing editor for Jacobin Magazine and host of The Jacobin Show on YouTube about woke corporations, anti-racism trainings, and multiracial unionism. It's going to be a great show. We'll be talking about unemployment, plugging our mine workers fundraiser, and more on today's Valley Labor Report. Uh, so remember, folks, the North Alabama DSA has a necessities drive this Saturday and every Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local 558 Union Hall on Clinton Avenue right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805. Uh so bring your non-perishable food items, your PPE, clothes, blankets, all that kind of stuff, and your donations will be forwarded to the Mana House. Follow at DSA North Alabama on Twitter for more information. If you want to see what we're up to throughout the week and get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for the Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel you can go back and watch the full show there and we also clip segments and release them throughout the week we upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps so to see if we are on your listening platform of choice go to the valley labor report dot transistor dot fm slash subscribe we've got a website where you can uh buy our hats and stickers the valley labor report dot org um and if you appreciate our work and want to keep us on the air, consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. I can hear the I can hear that PC, I think, right? Okay. Uh, our guest today is Paul Prescott. He is contributing editor for Jacobin Magazine, host of the Jacobin Show on YouTube, and a member of the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers. 
Uh, Paul, thanks for your time today. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really great to having you, David. Uh, I I can definitely hear that PC over there. Can you can you mute it? Okay, thanks. Uh, so this is Paul's second time on the show. Uh, last time we talked to uh, last time we talked to him about Trump's labor board. It was really good. If folks want to check that out and learn more about the Trump administration's uh, war on workers, I'd really recommend checking out that interview on YouTube. Um, and uh, so. Normally, I like to give folks a chance to do some personal backstory about, like, especially if they're a union member, what uh, the labor movement has meant to them, to them. But we've got so much to go over today. I just don't think we're going to have enough time. So, Paul, at some point, uh, we're going to have to bring you on the show to talk about, uh, you know, your work with the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers and, like, what got you into unions and unionism, because obviously it's super important to you. You know, you've got a hashtag labor, Paul, on Twitter. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're really involved in your union. And, and I'd, like to, I'd like to learn more about that. I, I always find there are some interesting stories there. But, um, but today... Uh, we're talking about woke corporations and racism, and um, I think that this is a really important topic, and I have been – y'all did a video on The Jacobin Show about this like a couple of months ago. It was two or three months ago, mm. and ever since then, I have been just so excited to talk to you about this and to talk to you about it on this station, which is a conservative talk radio station, because a lot of like rank and file type conservatives, like they get this issue mostly right. You know, they see right. Nike having these ads with Colin Kaepernick saying about, you know, like some people sacrifice everything and and um, or, or whatever, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick's making millions of dollars. He didn't really say, you know, it's, it's like, sure, maybe he should still be playing, but ultimately he didn't right. sacrifice a whole lot. Nike takes advantage of slave labor overseas. Coca-Cola has come out with these pro-democracy statements in, in the wake of the Georgia state stuff uh they've come out with anti-racism stuff during um during the the you know the, like they're really posturing and they were murdering like in 2003 they were hiring death squads to murder colombian trade unionists at, because right. because they were organizing their factories they see conservatives see this performative virtue signaling bs from some of the most powerful people in the country and they're disgusted by it for good reason and they so they get this issue mostly right so i'm i have been so excited to meet them where they're at and say man folks these woke corporations they're terrible let's do some let like let's agree on this problem and let's talk about the solution and so you there, there was a story you know um you, 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 yeah I, <laughs> david said my monologues are really long but uh, <laughs> so you know paul what are your you know uh, what are your thoughts on on that like why do why is it that conservatives get this issue like why is it that they're able to see this and liberals and and democratic democrat types are often not able to yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I think part of it has to do with, you know, the liberals or the or the uh the mainstream wing of the Democratic Party. Uh I mean, increasingly they're moving towards this as their bread and butter, meaning I mean, the only thing they have to sell to people is this kind of mode 
of identity politics. And and to be clear, not actually delivering much materially for uh, people of color if they're working class, but, um, you know, this whole kind of representative thing, and they've really um, co-opted the language of of these new movements coming out like Black Lives Matter. Um, that's really all they have to offer. And so they're in that mode um, of operating. And I think, you know, people that have bought into that really can't see this stuff for what it is. And just to add one more thing, I mean, it's just such a strange moment because I forget what the latest tally is, but, you know, since the George Floyd protests, I mean, corporations have donated something like $2 billion, I think, maybe more, to so-called social justice organizations. I mean, that can mean many, many different things. Um, but I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, that's astounding. And it, I always think about, you know, Walmart, Amazon would be willing to donate that much money to that. But mm-hmm. they, of course, would never, you know, pay their workers a living wage or, right. you know, uh, give them a union and, and really good health benefits. So that, to me, is, is really telling about what this is about and how they're they're uh, positioning themselves. Yeah, that that's it, it's like it's just a PR game. Why does Bill Gates do this philanthropy th- stuff? It's because it's so that he is able, uh, like he does it to launder his reputation. Because my understanding is that if you go back and and look at the 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 idea of Bill Gates back in the '90s when he was really consolidating Microsoft and 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 like the Bill Clinton administration, I think it was, um, like found him in violation of antitrust stuff and the clinton administration was not you know they were not a crusading trust busting or uh administration right right? and so back then you know bill gates's reputation was one was was correctly one of a monopolist oligarch type person and he has been able to launder his reputation uh through this philanthropy which actually has not most of it has not actually benefited people if we look at what he's done in education he's totally destroyed the education system in the united states single-handedly because of his wealth because of his power and uh but now everybody sees bill gates as oh he's the good one he's the good billionaire as if such a thing can exist and 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 and, you know that's what these or these companies these corporations are doing with their donations to black lives matter with their anti-racism trainings and things like that right can you talk about mm. oh no go ahead what were you gonna say oh i mean just to say you know i I don't want this to sound too conspiratorial i don't think it's as cut and dry but it, it it was convenient for them because you know we we were just coming off you know the democratic primary and the bernie sanders second campaign and i think you know he really helped change the conversation to be about wealth inequality, about class-based issues. And also, I think, importantly, framing, you know, it's not like class issues are not Black issues or Mm -hmm. Latino issues, of course, you know, and really helping driving that point home. And corporations have used this moment to kind of evacuate class from the discussion. I mean, I was always annoyed during the Democratic primary debates, you know, whenever it came to the so-called Black issue, it was only criminal justice. And I was like, I mean... As if, you know, I, of course, that's a big issue. And of course, it's a big issue for black communities. But for many, you know, working class black people, it, it's going to be issues of whatever it's housing, wages, uh, health care, education, you know. Um, so corporations, I think I've taken this moment, you know, to evacuate class from it. And, you know, it, it's relatively easy to say, of course, I'm, I'm against uh, police murdering someone, um, you know, but it kind of takes them out of the picture of, you know, why, why are black communities disproportionately uh, poor and low wage, you know? 
and that's not going to be solved through donating to to these various organizations right right that that's exactly that you know that that's exactly right and there was one um there was there was one story about this that really kind of you know this is obviously a broader trend we've a broader trend we have name dropped uh, several different corporations and um you know, but but there was one story that y'all t- touched on in yeah. your episode um, at Smith College can you give us the give us the rundown of what happened at Smith College and like what you know, how it exemplifies the broader problems. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's kind of a crazy story, but it really revealing. Um, so essentially in the summer of 2018, um, a black student was eating in a dorm lounge that was, you know, basically she wasn't allowed, no one was allowed to eat. In. And um, long story short, you know, the janitor had kind of seen it. They were instructed that, you know, if a student's eating in a lounge that they're not supposed to be in, just call campus security and they'll deal with it. So the janitor saw her, called campus security and also you know, it should be noted that in the call, the janitor did, did not say anything about the person's race. And the campus police came and and it was actually filmed. I actually haven't seen the video, but apparently it was filmed, the interaction with the student. It was very polite. Um, they basically resolved it quickly. The, the uh, campus security apologized and, you know, it, it was cleared up. But then later, that same student went on Facebook um, and said this is an issue of racial profiling, was really calling out the university um, for racism and the university kind of went into a panic and you know we should note that this is a liberal arts college where you know tuition is about 80,000 a year so I mean the students going here are most likely from a certain uh, class background you know so the university immediately put the um, janitor on paid leave without even discussing with him um, you know issued an apology to the student um, it became this huge issue and the student kind of kept it up and was naming not just the janitor, but the, the security guard and then also a cafeteria worker, um, calling them out, putting out their names, addresses, phone numbers on Facebook, saying they're a racist. And, um, you know, these employees kind of dealt with the, the harassment that came from that. And ultimately, you know, the... Um, Right. Yeah, uh, Paul, we're going to pick that up on the other okay. side of the yeah. break. We are talking uh, to Paul Prescott on the Valley Labor Report. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. But the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. All workers deserve fair wages, affordable health care, and a retirement plan that enables them to retire with dignity. All workers deserve to have a say about the terms and conditions of their employment, not just the bosses. With the Machinist Union's over 600,000 members having our back, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama has been serving workers' interests for over 20 years. Our members have the best health insurance in the area with zero deductible plans. We set the bar for pay in the area with over $40 an hour rates. 
consistently averaging the highest non-college degree jobs in North Alabama with some of the best retirement plans in the industry. We can do the same for you. Together, we remain united, raising our voices to ensure justice on the job and service in the community. The Machinist Union is a true Southern Union founded in Atlanta in 1888. We have been serving members' needs for 132 years. The longevity of our union proves our dedication and loyalty to the working class. The Machinist Union isn't just for machinists. We represent workers in government, healthcare, auto workers, aerospace workers, transportation workers, the defense industry, and woodworking. Our members even build the iconic Harley-Davidson motorcycles. If you're ready to get serious about better benefits and wages, if you want to have a voice in your workplace with over 600,000 members to back you up, call or email us today at 256-286-3704 or organize at iamaw44.org. Here in Huntsville, federal employees are an invaluable part of the nation's defense, offering unmatched expertise in engineering and technology and as stewards of taxpayer dollars. What we ask for in return is to be treated with fairness, dignity, and respect. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE Local 1858, is a union of working people looking out for each other, making sure that we're treated right. To inquire about joining or to learn more, call 256-876-4880. Hey y'all, are you tired of hearing that the South is just a bunch of racist rednecks? Or tune in to Dixieland of the Proletariat podcast. We talk about Southern working class history and current events through a leftist perspective. Join Nelson, Senior Telecommunications Director Tommy, Comrade Kate, former pig farmer Tyler, and Brother William, wherever you stream your podcast. And good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll see y'all next time. It's Dixieland of the Proletariat, y'all. WVNN. Depend on it. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-hosts David Story and Adam Keller. On the line, we've got Paul Prescott. He is contributing editor for Jacobin Magazine, host of the Jacobin Show on YouTube. We are talking to him about woke corporations, anti-racism trainings, and multiracial unions. Where we left off, we were talking about the story at Smith College. It's a li- he said it was a liberal arts college. Tuition there is like eighty thousand a year, um, and there was a uh, there was a black student who was um who was in the courtyard where like nobody was supposed to be and employees were instructed to if they saw anybody in the courtyard to call campus security a janitor did that and um and and the interaction between the student and campus security and you know we can we can say like maybe that was a bad policy Right, you know, this was a bad policy that was set by the by the uh, by the school by the administration, uh, you know, to to immediately call people with guns. But the fact is, is that's what employees, that's what the workers were told by the their bosses to do. So that's what this worker did. The interaction between the security guard and the student went well. Uh, it was it was cordial. It was fine. Every everybody left, and and there was no issues. Uh, and then after that. Paul said that uh, the student went on social media, was calling out the administration, and uh, the um, and and the administration put the janitor on paid leave, and there was a lot of 
hate going towards the janitor and the administration, right, Paul? Right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, unfortunately, it was more hate towards the workers, um, right. you know, and so some of these workers who were involved in the incident, you know, got, you know, calls calling them a racist people leaving notes on their cars. And so the university conducted an actual investigation with the legal team. And they did find that basically there was no racial bias uh, cause in this incident that, that wasn't a part of it. But the workers still had to go through these anti-racist or, or implicit bias trainings. And, um, you know, and, and think about it from the workers' perspectives. And in the article in the New York Times, they talk about workers were very cynical about these trainings. And they're thinking, like, you know, why, if we found that there was no racial discrimination, why are we being put through these trainings? Um, and it's suggesting, why are we, are we talking all this stuff about our white privilege and all that? Meanwhile, our, as workers here, we make about 40000 a year. The tuition here is twice of our yearly salary. Um, and so you kind of have these relatively privileged students who are who are you know calling them out on this for something that again was proven that they really didn't do wrong um and you know uh, some of the workers who were involved like they tried to get jobs other places and this incident kind of followed them and i think it's a great just cautionary tale about this stuff and i you know what i think about the most is like this is like literally uh i don't know what these workers political opinions are but like this is a way to drive them right into someone like trump's hands i Absolutely. mean because what does trump and these right-wing people do like these liberals are crazy with their critical race theory like this is so ridiculous and this incident is totally ridiculous i mean mm -hmm. i can't even yeah. counter that and so and the left really has to think seriously about what do we want to be associated with because i think it would not surprise me and i wouldn't blame those workers if it's like at this point if they hear anything liberal or left they're mm -hmm. thinking about this incident they had and it just seems disgusting to them. They don't want nothing to do with it. And yeah, this the incident they like, had where they, as low-wage workers, right. are being harassed by uh, rich students and being called, uh, you know, be, being called racist, having notes left on on their on their cars. Right. Uh, this this incident following them around to their next job interviews. I mean, this is like real. You know, this is real traumatic stuff. And again, like they didn't <laughs> do anything right. wrong. And also to clarify, as as far as I know, the security guard was unarmed. Also, you know, okay. and just well, at that point in there, yeah, also. Thanks for that. Um, but um, yeah, you know, and, and it's like the problem is like all this stuff doesn't even get at any sort of issues of racial discrimination. If, if that's what you're trying to get at, this doesn't do it. And I think if anything, the sad part is it, it's probably going to poison the waters for mm -hmm. these workers to talk about actual issues of racism because in their head is this really terrible experience. And they probably don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, but and I, I think it's a problem because the issue with people on the left or the far left, whatever you want to call it, you know, they will say like, oh, of course, we're against these anti-racist trainings for Amazon. Of course, we know that's bad. Mm -hmm. But they still believe like they can do their own version that's better. Or they really still wind up adopting a lot of this framework. And they think it's different or they think they can do it in a better way than Amazon would do it. But it's largely, you know, again, a similar framework. And I think that's the danger is that some on the left don't realize that they they really are reproducing the same stuff. Again, it's easy to call out Amazon. And in this case, yeah, the university is being dumb. But the left, I think, kind of adopts this a lot, you know. Um, and right. it's a, again, it's a real problem. I see no better way than to drive, continue to drive workers into the arms of the right wing um, with this kind of stuff. Yeah, and the there are like... 
and maybe you have you have more of a of a better understanding or or, or a, a, a deeper knowledge of the research. But my understanding of the research on these types of implicit bias training, anti-racism training, is that there is literally like no change in their behavior or in their thoughts uh, uh, from when they enter these trainings to when they when they exit them when you talk about police there's no difference at all in their um in the incidences of violence or deaths that they cause when you talk about workers there's no change in in there's no like they, they literally don't do anything i don't know if you have the numbers on those uh, if you have more of the data but uh, but that's right, right isn't it yeah i think i can't really rattle off the numbers but i mean my co-host in the jackman show jen pan you know she's done a lot of research and and yeah it's true and also a lot of times these trainings um i mean reinforce actually really damaging uh divisive things that play into employers being able to divide the workforce so jen talked about i think she was working at some nonprofit where literally the in the part of the training was like okay black people break up into this group uh asian americans broke up to this group whites into this group i was like okay so we're literally uh willingly dividing ourselves yeah. and we're thinking this is going to end well and you know and i I'm, I'm sure i'll get into this later but this really flies in the face of like what historically has proven to um you know do a great job um as good as we can do in terms of breaking down racial discrimination in the workplace you know and it and most people just don't learn this way. Like at the end of the day, most people are not going to learn through being lectured to. Right. Like you need, I think, powerful experiences. And I think in the context of the workplace, like powerful experiences of solidarity to really make this point. Like you can lecture someone to your blue in the face. And again, I mean, I, I always say this, like I would just be absolutely mortified to try to tell a white person making $9 an hour that they have privilege. Right. Even if it's true that maybe if it comes to an interaction with the police, there's going to be a difference there than a black person. But like, I just right. could never dream yeah. of saying that, to that person that they are privileged. Right. I mean, even if there's some like academic uh, potential, you know, there's some academic truth value there. Like, what is the point of right. hammering these people with this? We're talking to Paul Prescott, contributing editor of Jacobin Magazine. We'll be right back. Huntsville's number one news, talk and weather station. WVNN Athens. WVNN FM Trinity. A cumulus station. It's 10 o'clock. From ABC News. I'm Brian Clark. Normal operations have resumed for the Colonial Pipeline. According to its operator, that pipeline supplies almost half of the fuel used on the East Coast. But shortages at gas stations persist in 16 states and Washington, D.C. after the outages. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm said Friday. It's still going to work its way through the system over the next few days, but we should be back to normal fairly soon. The pipeline was shut down by a cyber attack, and ABC's chief justice correspondent Pierre Thomas says it was the most disruptive on record. President Biden admitting this week that there are limitations on what the federal government can do to push private companies to improve cybersecurity. I cannot dictate that the private companies do certain things relative to cybersecurity, but I think it's becoming clear to everyone that we have to do more than being done now. The president did sign an executive order which would require companies doing business with the U.S. government to properly report incursions. And the Justice Department plans to target the infrastructure of hackers and to block them from getting access to their extorted money. 
Some states and cities have kept mask mandates in place, despite the CDC saying fully vaccinated people don't need to wear one in most circumstances. In San Francisco, Justin Lawrence says he's still nervous. You can't tell by looking at somebody that they've been vaccinated. So the people that you're worried about the most are the anti-vaxxers that don't want to get vaccinated and have been a problem the entire time. Earlier today... More airstrikes on Gaza. One destroyed a building that houses offices used by the Associated Press and other media outlets. Israeli military said there were Hamas intelligence assets in the building. The Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit passed a series of pre-race drug tests and will start today's Preakness Stakes, the second leg of the Triple Crown of horse racing, after testing positive for a banned substance following the Derby. You're listening to ABC News. I'm former U.S. counterterrorism officer Drew Berquist. In a one-party-controlled country whose policies continue to move further to the left, it's hard to find a group willing to stand up for the right. That's why we created Mammoth Nation. We're standing strong for all Americans. Mammoth Nation is America's conservative discount club. As a member, you get great discounts, massive savings on travel, shopping, wireless, sporting goods, even prescriptions. Membership supports conservative businesses and the causes that you care about, like the Wounded Blue. For every total wellness plan purchased, Mammoth Nation will donate a plan to a police officer in need. This provides critical support to our law enforcement community. It's just one of the things that makes Mammoth Nation so great. And it's so affordable. If you join now, you get a 30% discount on an annual membership. Normally $29, this month just $19. It can pay for itself with just one purchase. So go to mammothnation.com and become a lifetime member today. Hey, y'all. Are you tired of hearing that the South is just a bunch of racist rednecks? Or tune in to Dixieland of the Proletariat podcast. We talk about Southern working class history and current events through a leftist perspective. Join Nelson, Senior Telecommunications Director Tommy, Comrade Kate, former pig farmer Tyler, and Brother William, wherever you stream your podcast. And good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll see you all next time. It's Dixieland of the Proletariat, y'all. The Dale Jackson Show, weekday mornings only on WVNN. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story and Adam Keller. We are joined by Paul Prescott. He is contributing editor for Jacobin Magazine, host of the Jacobin Show on YouTube, and um, and we we just wrapped up a uh, you know we we're talking about that incident at Smith College, um, and and you know we said that uh, there, like <clears throat> so what. If there's a worker who is white that makes nine dollars an hour, so what if, in a theoretical academic sense, they've got white privilege? Because, you know, if they interact with the cops, there's there's probably going to be some difference. Like we can say that's true, but like, what what good does that do us? You know, I like how how do how does that advance solidarity between black and white workers? Um, how does that advance the cause of w- building worker power? Um, you know, I mean, w- w- what good does it do us? Uh, and and so the anti-racism trainings, these the the virtue signaling by corporations, they don't really do anything uh, to address the problem of racism, which is a real problem in our society, and we have. 
historical data and historical examples of what works well. So we have we've laid out the you know we we've we've you know leveled with conservative folks. We've said, look, y'all have ID'd this problem. This is we agree this is a problem. You and I do. Me and Paul and David and, and Adam, we all agree this is a problem. What is the solution then? And I don't even know that the you know conservative media types and politicians they don't even have really a solution they just want you to get mad about the problem of you know woke capitalists uh you know <laughs> like like millionaires and billionaires telling low wage white workers that they've got privilege like they've id'd the problem but they don't have a solution paul what has historically worked to address the problem of racism and the problem of woke capitalists yeah, and you know, and there's a lot I could say, but I think in in short, the the idea of solidarity based first on on um, your primary material interests, and then I think branching out from there. And I, one of the best examples is the uh, packing house workers union that organized meat packers um, in the 30s and 40s when the union started, um, and it's a really great example and really inspiring. You know, when you look at I've looked at some of their oral history, hear the workers talk about this, and so you know. Think about in these packing houses, they had literally every type of ethnicity you could think of. And remember, at this time, you know, they divided up the white race uh, in a lot of ways, too. If you were Irish, if you were Eastern European, you were towards the bottom of the barrel. So in these packing houses in cities like Chicago, St. Louis, other places, you had black, uh, Irish, Eastern European, German, Scandinavian, everything you can imagine. And, you know, the, the workers approached this, you know, I read something from a white worker that said, look, most of us didn't like the black workers, but we realized from past experience that like, if we want a better wage, if we want better conditions, we're going to have to unite with them on that. And then you go to the black worker and they said, look, we knew the white workers didn't like us. Um, but, and this was an amazing quote to me. They said, you know, we, we called it a religion of unity. And they said, we never, ever, ever met in any committee without trying to have the broadest representation ethnically, also gender-wise. You know, we never had a separate Black committee um, or, or anything like that. And so they started from that basis. And what's kind of interesting is that they didn't start with the goal of trying to change the hearts and minds of white workers. Hmm. They didn't start with that goal, but they actually wound up, I think, doing that. You take that same union, fast forward like 15, 10, 15 years, that same union is now black and white workers are going into local bars and restaurants and desegregating. And I think many of those white workers, their actually hearts and minds were genuinely changed because it came to a certain point of seeing, you know, my black coworkers taking a risk for me or I'm taking a risk for a black coworker. And that's what I mean by, you know, an, a powerful experience of solidarity to break that down. But I think it all came back to the beginning of like, we're gonna get along even if we don't like each other, even if I'm still a racist for our concrete material interests. And then once you start building up trust on that, I think you can branch out. So, you know, and I want to make the point, what I'm advocating for is far from saying, oh, ignore race, uh, actually mm-hmm. totally the opposite. Again, this union was probably one of the most advanced on race and they were actually, you know, they provided the funding to start the Southern Christian Leadership Council, which was uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s organization. He you know, he always traditionally went to that union hall and spoke. Uh, so they were really at the vanguard of racial justice, but it's a totally different model than this idea of 
putting it on the individual white worker and trying to lecture them or change it's again i mean i kind of wish it would work that way it would actually probably be a lot easier right um but it just it just doesn't you know um so you know and, and there were other unions that did that example and again just think about this this is in the 30s and 40s i mean just mm-hmm. imagine i mean what the racism is like at that time um and even in the south they were doing this like really groundbreaking stuff to the point where you know, in the South in the 40s, the CIO, the Congress of Industrial Organization, the Federation, you know, it was like synonymous with civil rights to the South. Mm-hmm. So Southern demagogues, like, they didn't want the CIO, and their talking point wasn't even just union stuff. It was like the CIO is for integration. That's why we're right. against it. Um, and, you know, did they solve racism? Of course not. But they, they made a lot of gains at a time where many other institutions weren't. And maybe I'll just end with this, you know. A. Philip Randolph, the great black union leader, civil rights leader, also his assistant, Bayard Rustin, who was one of the strategic geniuses of the civil rights movement. They always used to say, because they used to get a lot of shit from, honestly, from some people, like, why are you messing around with unions? They're racist. And they said, like, look, every institution in the United States society is racist in some form, you know, but trade unions have been by far more advanced on integration. They actually are the most integrated social institution we have. I think that's still true today. So they're saying, look, in a society where schools are racially segregated, uh, everything you can think of, of course, why would we expect unions are going to be perfect? But they still have shown actually that they've been actually, again, far ahead of any other institution in terms of integration and and racial equality or at least trying to advance racial equality so i think it's good to keep that perspective in mind yeah absolutely and and you know speaking of martin luther king where what was the last speech that he gave the last speech that he gave was supporting a strike of uh, sanitation workers in memphis tennessee and he was uh he was assassinated the day after that or something you know something like that um and and the you know so the fight that that's exactly right that when we say that these anti-racism training and implicit bias trainings and and lecturing people about their privilege when we say it doesn't work we're not saying that this isn't a problem that racism isn't a problem and that we shouldn't look for solutions we're saying that racism is a problem and here is a better solution a better solution is actually having you know uh, being in organization and uh you know to use a religious term in in term in communion with our uh black and white and brown brothers and sisters uh on the job and in the community and those experiences are actually going to be what changes the hearts and minds of uh people with racial prejudices uh rather than lecturing them about those racial prejudices uh and 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 even you know i was thinking about that when you were talking and when you said that about how experience experiences can change people that's even uh, you know something that 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 is that has been represented in in mass media if we uh you know i don't i'm not sure paul if you've seen remember the titans but that would you know right. that's kind of like you know it's it's like a corny sports movie right but like wh- how how did the white players on that team uh how how did they overcome their racism did did, did the coach get up there and tell them that you know it's bad that you're racist 
no, like they uh, overcame it through their experiences with the people on the team. And, and it, it's the same, you know, it doesn't just have to be unions. Like I like unions a lot, but that on the job, that's the best way to do it instead of these right. like anti-racism trainings. But of course, you know, Coca-Cola isn't going to say, oh, you know, we respect your right to unionize. And if you want, <laughs> you know, if you want to do that, then that's fine. And we're not going to try to murder you if you're in Colombia uh, because they don't actually care about the problem. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, if I have time, I'll tell a brief story. I mean, how this stuff could play out. You know, there's a, long story short, uh, Teams are local representing UPS workers in Philly. And, you know, they have their first black leadership, um, honestly, maybe ever in a local's history. You know, there was some racial tension around that. And UPS managers, black managers, were attempting to tell black workers that, oh, these white shop stewards don't represent you well, blah, blah, blah. And luckily, the union had a culture of solidarity where they named that as bullshit. But you can just see how management can so easily start playing on this stuff to start dividing people, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're on the radio um, on 92.5 FM WVNN. Uh, uh, th- so j- just a reminder there. But yeah, um, we are, uh, I mean, that's, that, that's exactly right. Um, that these you know these experiences are are really like they're really important for people um in, in actually changing their mind doing the work of 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 changing their hearts and minds if anybody has a question for paul uh we're, we're going to be talking to him for a little while longer one 9866 is the number again that phone number is one 9866 adam you looked like you you had something you wanted to add uh, well, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate this message um, because the thing that has scared the ruling class in the United States since before we were the United States is workers of all races joining together. Uh, and, and, you know, as we most of us who listen to this program know, that's really how modern racism developed was to divide the working class. And even today in 2021, the most diverse section of the United States is the working class. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah, because the solution doesn't come from our bosses. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the um, t- tell us a little bit more about that, um, the, the, the local in, in Philadelphia and some of that, because like there I don't know much of the backstory there, but my national union president, actually, uh, Reverend Everett Kelly, he was the first black president in his um, in his local in Anniston in like. 2000 or something and there was a lot of racial tension around that and so so i I, i'd like to hear more about that and and um and what happened there uh we'll talk about that on the other side of the break you're listening to the valley labor report folks stay tuned you're listening to the valley labor report with david story and jacob morrison The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time, but the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617. 
877-937-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. If you're looking for contractors with lower-than-average EMR and TRIR, if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Iron Workers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256 383 Three 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 four. That's two five six three eight three 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 four. Or via email at local four seven seven at bellsouth.net. And make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. For up to the minute news, log on to wvnn.com. Depend on it. Jacob Morrison is your host here with Adam Keller and David Story, your co-hosts. Um, we've got on the line Paul Prescott. He's contributing editor of Jacobin Magazine, host of The Jacobin Show on YouTube. If you want to ask him a question, one 494 is the number. You could also uh, tweet us at Labor Reporters or put a question in the chat on YouTube or Facebook, and we'll try to get that answered for you while we've got him here for this last segment. Um, so, uh, so talk to us some more about that, that, uh, that local in Philadelphia. Yeah, and, and as I was thinking, you know, it kind of reminded me of something that, again, sounds very, very similar to some of the packing house worker stories. Um, you know, so again, this this was the uh, you know first black president, I think, in this local's history. And during the election campaign, you know, there there was a lot of ugliness. There was a lot of you know he dealt with a lot of racism from some of the members. Um, all these ridiculous rumors and stereotypes that because he's black, if he he got in power, he would he would spend the money on cars. Like I mean, really bad, ugly stuff. And so, but what was interesting was you know, ever since he's been in uh, leadership, I mean, he's been in now a little bit over a year. You know, he's he's been doing a lot of really great stuff with the local in a short amount of time. And someone told me that recently they had a shop stewards call. And some of these same, you know, white shop stewards that were, you know, some of the biggest people against him and using racism as part of why they were against him, you know, have like done a complete 180 and said on the call, like, you know, I I didn't like you, I didn't trust you, but like, you know, you've really turned this local around. This is the best we've been doing, 
you know, in all the years I've been here. Um, and I, I mean, that's very powerful. And I can't help but think that maybe some, at least some or a little bit of his, that worker's racial discrimination has been broken down to a degree. And again, there was literally only one way to do that. And that was essentially by, again, this president didn't set out to like change this person's individual attitude, but he set out to do the best he could to build a union and, you know, mm. improve workers' lives. And it was through that process that that happened. And I don't really see any other way that could have happened. Um, so again, I think it's just a great model. Again, it doesn't magically right. solve everything. I'm sure there's still many workers in the local that have the same views, but I think it's the best shot we got to uh, make make progress on this. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the you know, the, the fact of the matter is uh, that, that unions are really the best vehicle for advancing uh, working people's material interests, for building working class power. And we can see that through, uh, you know, I mean, we can see that through all sorts of data. When we look at wages, when we look at benefits, health care, retirements, pensions, um, I- anything, if you compare union workers to non-union workers um their compensation is just like it it's so much it's so much better the jobs are so much safer um and 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 so that ha- and, and, and and if you're able to do it in such a way that you like and which would be true it's not like you would be lying to people in in associating these things but if you if you can do it in such a way that you attach these material gains to a multiracial solidarity on class lines, uh, then that is going to, you know, they're, they're, people are going to be able to, you know, level with folks of a different race or ethnicity or religion on these lines and as people and human beings. And, and, and that is, you know, w- w- when you're in a union with people, you have really intimate conversations with them about you know we're, we're going to talk about af- after we let paul go we're going to be talking about uh, striking mine workers in alabama mm-hmm. uh, they're you know they are on strike now for seven weeks right these people and they're black and white and and right. they're ha- they're having to have extremely tense conversations about like uh I'm going to be going without a without a paycheck from the company for a long time. I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to live on very reduced uh, uh, strike payments from the union uh, during this time that we're on strike to better our working conditions, to better our uh, compensation on the job. And we're having, you know, these are intense, like you know, life and health and death conversations that and decisions that they're making collectively together across racial lines. And and those kind when you have those kind of intimate conversations with other people, you know, you've got to treat them with a certain amount of respect to really have them well. And 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 I think having those conversations engenders that respect um just just naturally. Right. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, I want to just harp on the point of, you know, like, I mean, politics is not fair to our side. Um, <laughs> like we have a lot going against us. And I, I often say that, especially like what like impressions people have. And I think often a lot of voters, you know, they are voting kind of on an instinct or a gut sense or the first impression they get when someone's opening their mouth. And I think, again, the real danger for the left here is that 
we're giving the first impression that we're for the stuff that went down at Smith College. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you have someone like Trump or whoever will be in the future saying, no, we welcome you uh, with open arms, you know, and this stuff is ridiculous. Um, and that's a really big, uh, a really big danger. You know, we can't set up so many barriers to being on our side. Like you got to be perfect already. You got to already know everything to say. It's just not going to work. And again, we're we're allowing. You know, we we all know now Republicans are posturing like they're a working class party. All mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. You know, the more we do this stuff, the more we allow them to get away with it because now they can just sort of reorient the conversation to like ridiculous woke stuff instead of having to deal with the fact that you know they always vote anti-union they're always against um you know public investment whatever whatever it is raising the minimum wage so we're just Mm -hmm. giving them material to work with and it's dangerous because we know they are making inroads with working people um you know, and uh, with working people across lot, racial yeah. lines, Trump right, gained yeah. tr- Trump gained in every racial demographic in 2020, except white right. men, except white men. Biden lost on Clinton's numbers in every racial demographic, except he gained enough in white men to, to make up for it. I mean, like right. this, yeah, this exactly. is a problem that like has to be addressed. Right. Yeah. And, and this is it was a perfect test case too because like the dominant mode of attack of liberals against trump for four years was just like racist racist Mm -hmm, racist mm racist and i I mean a lot of it was true but that was i mean just pummeled propaganda wise that was it for four years and we we see the results like it it literally did not work you know in terms of uh you know in terms uh, of convincing the the people yeah in terms of convincing the people that were ostensibly victimized by his racist rhetoric it didn't work for them it worked for it worked for suburban uh white women for you know college educated white men it worked and it convinced us but for the people that were ostensibly victimized by his racist rhetoric it didn't it didn't work right yeah and and either it was people you know black or latino people voting for him or still staying out of politics and Mm -hmm. which is a a sign that you know maybe they don't like trump but they're still this is not the message that's going to motivate them to to start engaging and of course we know that's what we need to do you know obviously i'm glad uh biden won but i am worried that the new democratic base is increasingly people that honestly are going to vote down ballot republican when it comes to like state reps and will, you know, vote against measures that might tax the rich a little more. We've seen that in some ballot initiatives, like in California, it's supposed to be so progressive. The tax the rich ballot measure lost. And meanwhile, in Arizona, which is supposed to be trending red, it won. You know, so I'm just worried that the base the Democrats have, even if they can eke out some elections, is not a base that can really uh, put through change that we need. Absolutely. I mean, because those folks ultimately are going to protect their pocketbooks, which is not Mm -hmm. in line with ordinary white workers, black workers, any workers. Uh, So I think that's a really great point. Uh, You know, and so many of the Democrats and liberals of today posture and sound like a human resources department. (laughs) And I mean, that's uh, who wants to vote for that? I mean, if you sound like your boss or a lecture that you get from HR so they prevent more EEOC claims, mm-hmm. that's not inspiring politics. Right. Yeah, and, you know, and I used to point out to people, um, again, this the line against Trump, like, racist, racist, racist. Again, I mean, true, but I always said, could, you should watch a full Trump rally. 
And honestly, if I had to make a pie chart, the 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 slice that is a him being a disgusting racist is a lot smaller than what people would assume. And a mm-hmm. lot of it was him just being relatable and kind of likable and kind of funny and kind of right. just sticking it to liberal elites. And, and kind so, of insane again, when too. you take a step yeah. back, I'm like, I can totally see why people right. can get caught up in this, you know? Um, and I think that just goes back to, again, this first impression. Like when you open your mouth, do you sound like a, a PhD professor? No offense to anyone that is. Um, mm-hmm. Or do you sound like someone that is relatable? And unfortunately or not, I mean, a lot of it kind of comes down to that. So right. it's just something we got to think about. Right. Yeah. Paul, we've got one minute left, less than one minute left. Tell us what is your uh, what what should workers do that want to advocate for building worker power, uh, increasing our material interests and where can people find you? Yeah, I mean, short answer, I mean, trying to build unions, whether you're in an existing one, get get more involved. If you're not, I mean, just start having those conversations with coworkers, force yourself to talk to people maybe you don't normally do on a job. Um, that's a totally inadequate short answer to that question. But, um, and yeah, people can find me in Jackman magazine. I, I write for them. And then, uh, Jackman shows every Wednesday on YouTube. All right, Paul, thank you so much. Uh, I really, it, it was from, it, it was the episode of the Jackman show that they did with Karen Nussbaum, I think. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is- uh, People should watch that one. For some reason, that has not as many views, and I really think that was one of our best ones. That's crazy. I think it was one of your best ones, too. Go back and watch that in the Jacobin uh, Show archive. Check them out every Wednesday and read his writing, A Religion of Unity, in uh, Jacobin Magazine. That's where he goes into detail on the Packing House Workers Union. Paul, thank you so much for talking to us. I've really enjoyed the conversation. We're going to be right back. This is the Valley Labor Report. The Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. This is News Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. News starts now. The new guidelines from the CDC that say fully vaccinated people no longer need to wear a mask in most situations have confused some parents of unvaccinated children. The head of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, Mark Perone, tells ABC. It certainly leaves the workers that I represent in somewhat of a confused state and also in a challenged state. Because as customers coming in and out, I think customers are going to be confused as well. Some large chains have kept mask mandates in place. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the U.S. has directly communicated to Israel that the safety and security of journalists is a paramount responsibility. Israeli forces destroyed a building in Gaza that houses the Associated Press and other media outlets. The IDF says it also housed Hamas intelligence. Violence there continues. The operator of the Colonial Pipeline says normal service has been restored, but gas stations in 16 states and Washington, D.C. still experiencing some supply issues. Brian Clark, ABC News. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time, but the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. 
The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. The Dale Jackson Show, a safe space for terrible people. Weekdays, 7 to 11 a.m., only on WVNN. WVNN. Put a there, boy, we'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. Brookwood. Next week, we're going to be in Brookwood, Alabama. We're going to be doing a uh, 48-hour live stream. So make sure that you... Uh, uh, make sure that you are following us. Make sure that you're sharing it. And uh, and, and so next weekend, we're going to be doing a 48-hour live stream on uh, uh, from Brookwood, Alabama to support the coal miners' strike. We're... Um, to support the coal miners strike and raise money for them on Saturday. We are going to be, um, we're going to be doing a, uh, uh, a fundraising concert. We've got Lee Baines, Lee Baines and the glory fires. They have a lot of, a couple of their songs do intros for us for segments. Uh, they're going to be playing, um, Mike Cooley from the drive by truckers is going to be playing drew Morgan and DJ Lewis from well-read comedy are going to be doing a set. We're going to be having some, uh, gospel groups from the, uh, of the actual mine workers. Some of the striking coal miners are in gospel groups and some of them pick banjos and sing, and so they're going to be doing that for us. It's going to be a fun day on Saturday from 12 noon to sundown. Uh, David is going to be cooking. David is going to be cooking. Uh, we're going to have chili from the Central Labor Council in Central Alabama. Uh, it's going to be a good time. The suggested donation for admission, if you're not a coal miner, is $20 so that we can uh, have some money to give to them at the end of the day um and if you're not going to be able to attend you can go to the valley labor report and go to our mutual aid section and just donate um but but man it should be i think it's going to be a fun time uh so the the itinerary looks basically like this on friday uh we're gonna have some labor notes trainings i think we're gonna talk to coal miners and their families their wives their children their parents community members we're going to be talking to Randy Bryce. He ran for Congress uh, Iron Stash on Twitter. We're going to be talking to um, 
uh, Brian Conley and Douglas Williams of Strikeway. We're going to be talking to some other folks. Uh, we're going to be um, Saturday. We're doing the benefit. We're doing the show live from Brookwood next weekend on Saturday. Uh, and on Sunday, we've got Reverend Gregory Bentley from Huntsville. He's going to come down, close us out with church. We're going to have a sermon from Reverend Gre- Gregory Bentley from Huntsville. Uh, I think maybe his choir is going to come down, sing some hymns for us. All of that is going to be live streamed, um, and you can donate on the stream. It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it, so make sure that you share our stuff so that people can see it. Share our Facebook, our Twitter, our um our YouTube so that people see it and they know where to donate uh, and come in person. Come say hi to us. Most of us are vaccinated now. Uh, so it, it's going to, man, I'm just, I'm so excited for it. It's a good cause. Um, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a great event. And I'm not aware of anything like this taking place in Alabama. Uh, I mean, as long as I've been involved in labor and politics here in the state. So it's kind of unprecedented. It's it's a big deal. I'm I'm really proud of of Jacob and David for working so hard to pull this off. And if you can donate, please do that. If you can attend, please drop by. Even if you can't do either of those things, you can help spread the word. Share it yep. on social media. Uh, there's a Facebook event that's set up. You can invite your friends that may be interested. Maybe they live in the area, or, or maybe they're union members that you think may be sympathetic. So definitely help us spread the word because all of those donations are really going to come in handy for these strikers as they try to hold the line since April 1st. Yeah. That is a long time to be on strike. Uh, they really need our support. So anything you can do to chip in, even if it's just a couple bucks, that's right. really going to help. Yeah, I mean, if everybody, you know, if everybody that hears about the event uh, just gave a couple bucks, that would be that would be huge. You know, that that would be a really, really big deal. Um, and so the you know, we've got like 181 people have already responded on Facebook that are is, responded, interested or going. Um, and there's a lot of uh, the, the, the folks on the folks down there have said that have said that they've gotten a lot of a lot of interest from their members and from the community about it and it i mean it, it's really going to be it's really going to be a lot of fun i think um we're going to have more you know we're going to be going for 48 hours so if you have like a, a guest suggestion let us know i think we're probably just going to be like shooting the breeze um a lot of the time especially at night maybe doing some gaming streams it's uh playing among us maybe um i don't know may, might play some minecraft who knows we're gonna go for 48 hours maybe you'll just get to watch me sleep on camera i don't know we'll see yeah if you're if you're a night owl if you like to stay up all night or if yeah. you work second or third shift uh feel free to call in uh, yeah yeah uh, comment in you know chat do whatever yeah, you we can gotta, we gotta set up we we have to set up a phone line so that people can call in i think maybe people People can call in on a dis on the Discord. We do have a Discord. Um, I don't know what the the website is, but like if you if you DM us, I'll, I'll give you the link. Um, and, and and we need to get I need to get the website uh, uh, name so I can just say it on the air because I don't remember it right now. But it, it, but if you DM us, you know we'll we'll send you the link so that you can get on our show's Discord. Um, and maybe we people can call in that way. I think there's like a voice chat in Discord or something. But and, and you know, like so for people listening that maybe don't know anything about the mine worker strike because you don't ever hear about it. For even though coal miners are deified 
in the conservative imagination, the coal industry is like the backbone of America, uh, you know. But here we've got 1,100 coal miners. And, and, you know, this is 1,100 coal miners that voted overwhelmingly to stay on strike. This is not like you've got 1,100 coal miners who are being told by union bosses to go on strike and they don't want to. They want to go and work and make a living for themselves and work hard and, and kiss their bosses' boots. Their bosses offered them a contract that was voted down 1,000 to 50 that's huge. 50 people, 50 people in that 1,100-person bargaining unit said, I want to work under this contract. More than 1,000 said, screw this. There are videos of people outside of all of the local halls burning the contract in a barrel. That's how bad it is. That's how fed up with their contract that these people are. And so, you know, this is it, it, this is this was a decision that was made collectively and democratically by the workforce, by a workforce that has been exploited by the coal by the coal mining bosses. Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's a really good quote, and let me see if I can find it about because because you know, like there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of talk about yeah, I think, and I think this is true. That labor creates all wealth, so all wealth should go to labor. But um, the <laughs> but with coal miners, it's like it's more apparent than anything else that the people that are actually doing the work are not making. Uh, they're not making their fair share. This is a quote from Big Bill Haywood. He was a founder of the Industrial Workers of the World. He was a huge labor leader, very influential in the 20th century. You should do some Googling on him if your uh, capitalist propaganda history classes <laughs> did not teach you about Big Bill Haywood. He said, the mine owners did not find the gold. They did not mine the gold. They did not mill the gold, but by some weird alchemy, all the gold belonged to them. We can easily say that today in Alabama, the mine owners did not find the coal. They did not mine the coal. They did not mill the coal, but by some weird alchemy, by the virtue of their already existing wealth, they own the coal. And the coal miners who actually do the work have been forced to work. They took a 6 to $8 an hour pay cut in their last contract to save the company from bankruptcy. The company went bankrupt and it was bought out. They've got the same CEO who did not take a pay cut, who <coughs> who still has and has always had a multi-million dollar salary. He did not take a pay cut. But the working coal miners here in Alabama, 1,100 of them, took a 6 to $8 an hour pay cut. They took provisions in their contract that said, you can make me work seven days a week if you desire without double time like we had in our last contract. We will forego our lunch breaks. We will forego um, our health. We will take huge cuts to our retirement pensions, to our health care contracts, and then 
it worked. Six years later, six years after the bankruptcy of 2015, the company is profitable. The company in the past five years has had two years of record-breaking production. The coal, miner, uh, the coal mine owner has had a 10 to 15% annual compensation increase. And now they want to say to the coal miners, first they wanted to say, I want you to take more concessions. I want you to take more pay cuts, more cuts to your health care, more cuts to your benefits and your working conditions. And the coal miners said no. So they re so the owners came back and said, okay, we'll give you a dollar back of what you lost over four years. Over four years. We'll give you a dollar over four years. That doesn't even keep up with inflation. And that's what these coal miners are being asked to put up with. And so if you care about coal miners, if you care about working Alabamians, especially as a media figure or as a politician, it is your duty to support these striking coal miners. If you ever... If you have ever talked about how Biden and Hillary Clinton want to destroy working coal miners' jobs and how they don't care about coal miners, how they don't care about their families and their communities and what they make and being able to put their kids through college, being able to support themselves, lift themselves up by their bootstraps. If you've ever uttered any words like that on this radio station or anywhere else or you've said that in conversation, it is your duty you have to, you absolutely have to, in order to be consistent, support these coal miners and tell the boss to shove it, to give these people what they deserve, give them parity with other coal miners in the state, give them back what they lost to save the company in 2015. And the best way to do that right now is to support this fundraiser that we're going to be doing next week. That's the best way to do that right now. And well, as as a listener, that's the best way to do that. If you're a media person or if you're a politician, then you can rally support around them. You could you could use your platforms to support actual working people in this state. You could if you're a politician, the legislative session is not over yet. You could pass laws. You could pass policy that penalize that penalize Coal mine owners uh, for for poor compensation for their workers. You could actually do something. If you're a media figure, you could do something. If you're a listener, the best way to support is to go to this fundraiser or donate to it to make sure that they have sufficient resources to stay out on strike uh, so that they that way um, – they will be able to hold the line and continue to hit this company where it hurts so that they uh, so that they are forced to compensate them fairly. That's the best thing that you can do. And that's all they're asking for is just yeah. dignity, just to just to make up what they have already lost over these years. That's not much. And no. Uh, I just learned about the CEO keeping his job. I yeah. just learned that this week, and that's just so amazing. But classic manager right. to fail upwards. Yeah. Uh, rare do you meet a manager who hasn't failed upwards in their career. It always seems to turn out that way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's amazing that that you know after running a company into the ground, he doesn't have to take a pay cut, or he and he doesn't have to give up his position at the head of the company. Uh, which I just learned that either this week or the week before that he kept his job as CEO under a different company. That's amazing. It's insane. It's absolutely wild. Um, so. 
it's it's absolutely wild. So you know, make sure that you're following us on Twitter, on YouTube, so that you can see the stream, so that you can donate and things like that. Because this is really important. These people are fighting for their lives, for their families, for their communities, and I think they deserve our support. We will be right back. We have one more segment. We're going to be talking about the unemployment uh, situation here in Alabama. So stay tuned. This is the Valley Labor Report. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE, Local 1858, believes all workers are entitled to fairness, dignity, and respect. AFGE also knows that the best way to guarantee proper treatment is for workers to stand together, united, looking out for each other. In AFGE, we fight for workers every day to ensure a workplace that is safe and free from harassment. If you're a federal employee and want to be a part of this union to protect yourself and your fellow workers, call 256 876-4880. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time, but the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtandj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. WVNN. We are back. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-hosts, David Story and Adam Keller. Um, we we just we just plugged our fundraiser for the mine workers. <clears throat> so make sure that you uh, make sure that you follow that. Um, make sure that you come. Make sure that you donate if you can. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is by donating to us on Patreon.com/slash The Valley Labor Report, or you can get one of our fantastic union-made hats. They are great. I really love them. Um, they're good. They're good union-made hats. Um, and uh, so. 
And spread the word on social media. Uh, spread the word on social media. There's a lot of folks yeah. still, even here in this community, who are very active in, in various causes and movements, but still aren't familiar with the show. So we uh, we encourage you to share it on social media, invite your friends. It really helps get the word out. Yeah, absolutely. So the last thing is that this week, uh, Governor Kay Ivey said that we are going to stop accepting the federal unemployment uh, stimulus yeah. Uh, the federal, um, the the uh, stimulus to the unemployment insurance, the three hundred dollars a week that uh, the federal government was sending to state unemployment offices uh, to add to their unemployment benefits. Um, so she is stopping it early. It was slated to end in August or September. She's stopping it in June. On June nineteenth. So on Juneteenth which is a historic day in the black community to celebrate the end of slavery. And I, I just can't help but wonder if that was a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I Maybe uh, it wasn't. Maybe yeah, it, I mean, I, I just, it, it's because I, I think most people, especially, especially white folks, like, you know, <laughs> you know, like I had no idea what Juneteenth was until last year myself. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I'd be willing to give her the benefit of the doubt on that. But the fact that she would be that that she would be um, the fact that she would be taking like taking this money out of the economy. You know, I mean, like there's just there's no sense in it. Like it doesn't make sense at all. Um and, you know, the ostensible logic is, oh, we've got an unemployment problem. Our unemployment rate is too high. We need to get people back at work. The unemployment rate is only 3.8% right now. That is like uh, – th that is that is very, very close to full employment. You're always going to have a certain amount of unemployment. Um, the national rate is 6%. Yeah. So, you know, it's already incredibly low compared to the rest of the country. Yeah, and the only jobs that you see, the only places where you see bosses crying about not being able to support or not being able to bring in workers are the worst jobs imaginable. The ones that have no benefits, the ones that have unstable schedules, the ones where you can make minimum wage or sub-minimum wage with tips, uh, the ones where you don't get any benefits, where you don't get health care, where you don't get retirement. Like those are the jobs. You don't see uh, you don't see union shops with these with these uh, with, with these letters out there uh, saying like oh we can't get workers you don't see uh, engineering firms saying oh we can't get workers it's only the places where they have literally the worst compensation and so out and so like what we're being asked to do is to like is to subsidize these businesses subsidize the McDonald's of the world uh, for their low wages by paying food stamps and by paying for food stamps and things like that so that they don't have to pay for for their workers to pay a minimum wage like literally part of McDonald's budget is to hire HR people who advise their workers about how to get on food stamps. Like, that's part of their budget. Their budget is not to just pay people what they deserve. It's to advise people to get the government benefits, which, like, I don't have a problem with pe poor people having um – with poor people getting food stamps, with poor people getting getting these things to ensure that they do not starve or they do not die of uh, of preventable medical illnesses, but uh, you know when when people talk about uh, you know whether or not 
I have a stake in whether or not I have a stake in uh, McDonald's having a higher minimum wage. Of course I do, because I subsidize their business. Not because I go there. I haven't. I can't remember the last time I went to McDonald's, but I subsidize their business through my taxes. I mean, it's like, right, right. Well, and when we hear these fast food owners and other service industry bosses talk about, I can't find any workers, they always leave off the last part, which is, I can't find any workers at the wages I'm willing to pay. Yeah. And there's been a lot of research, first of all, to show that this whining and complaining about, I can't find any workers, or there's a shortage of this or that particular worker, that has been in the media for decades, for longer than I've Mm -hmm. been alive. You can find uh, bosses talking about these very same things they're talking about right now. Uh, And unfortunately, the media often just sort of republishes whatever business owners like to say uh, without much interrogation. And the other thing is that there has been multiple uh, nonpartisan think tanks that prove Mm -hmm. that this unemployment benefit is not causing a labor shortage. So it is just – it is – factually wrong but it it does uh it, it satisfies a certain gut instinct among certain people particularly in the employer class uh to want to bash workers particularly on the low end if anything it should be an expose on how many people are living on the real edge of mm-hmm. absolute destitution yeah i mean you know again we the last time that we talked about that I mentioned that the most a person can make on unemployment in Alabama is uh, like thirty thousand dollars, and so if if you're making if if thirty thousand dollars a year uh, with kids is better than if that if it makes more financial sense to be on unemployment um, than taking your job, then your job is terrible. Your job is terrible. And like uh, you know, you don't deserve to have a worker at that wage. You don't deserve to have people. And and you know, um, I mean, like the the uh, workers understand their economic positions. If you can, if you give a worker even at exactly the same as they would make on unemployment if you just to have a job is so much better because there are opportunities for even even potentially a little bit lower than unemployment because there are these there's there's the fulfillment of being able to work like i don't want to just sit like people don't want to just sit around all day um there's the fulfillment of being able to work there is the potential for advancement there is the long-term benefits uh you know in, in in a job in a company Workers understand that. So if your job compensation, if your work environment is so bad as to make unemployment look uh, uh, look better than your job, then like you're a terrible corporation, you're a terrible company, and you don't deserve to have a worker. You don't have deserve to have a worker. Like like you are not entitled. To other, you know, we talk. <laughs> conservatives talk about entitlement, the entitlement gener- generation, and things like that. Like bosses are not entitled to per- people's labor at slave wages. But they think they do. Oh, they absolutely think they do. They think they're entitled to it. They think they're entitled to a never-ending flow of people willing to take crap for eight dollars an hour. Yeah, and not even be able to afford their rent or their utilities. Um, I mean, it's really amazing some of the jobs I've been seeing posted for $10 an hour. Yeah. Uh, which, 
especially if you have any children, is not even enough to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, you know, like if you want workers, then pay them more. Pay them more. Then and you'll get them. If you pay workers more, you'll get them. Folks, you've been listening to the Valley Labor Report. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Labor Reporters. Follow the show on YouTube at the Valley Labor Report, on Facebook at the Valley Labor Report, so that you can donate to the fundraiser for the mine workers and see the stream. Folks, we'll